Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you guys so much today. Uh, very important topic when we talk about doctrines in the church and world religions, and particularly the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, we, unfortunately, uh, you know, it's always uh, an opportunity to ruffle some feathers. We don't like doing that. We don't set out to annoy people or offend people, but we are going to speak the truth. We are going to stand true to the Word of God, which is perfect and holy and inspired. Um, God breathed, literally God breathed, spoke through men by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about that with our guest today, Mike Gender. And I just want to mention to you that there is a conference coming up Saturday and Sunday morning, a Saturday all day, in Green Bay. It's called the Rooted Conference. And it's going to, it's hosted by the Voice of Faith Bible Church. And it's going to be uh, held at the Cup O'Joy on Taylor Street. You know, the music venue. They've got a couple different venues within the same building. But the conference on deception, discernment, and deliverance will be there. Mike Gendron, today's guest, and tomorrow's guest on the podcast, Justin Peters of Justin Peters Ministries. And you can go to the website, voiceoffaithchurch.com, to register and get the conference info. That's voiceoffaithchurch.com. If you miss any of this, you can email comments at standupforthetruth.com. So we bring back Mike Gendron of Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries. He's a well-known evangelist and author of Contending for the Gospel, Preparing for Eternity, and uh, he was a very devout Roman Catholic for over 30 years. And so that's one of the reasons we can look to him as an expert in what the Catholic doctrine teaches compared to what the Scriptures teach and do a little contrast. So, uh, Mike Gendron, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Well, thank you, David, and it's a good thing to be doing in these days of great deception, standing up for the truth. Amen, brother. Uh, God willing, here's what we want to do today. We, we'd like to, as uh, you know, we had a couple email exchanges. Uh, we definitely want to talk about the growing uh, ecumenical unity. Uh, these other religious leaders uh, from across, around the world, really, aligning on certain issues or at certain events. So we need to talk about that a little bit, and we'll get to that. We also want to talk about why you left the Catholic Church. And I know we have a lot of new listeners since you were on last, so we want to give them perhaps the condensed version. And we also want to talk about early church history and, and something that many listeners may not be familiar with, the doctrine of apostolic succession, what happened in 1054 A.D., the Great Schism, and also teachings about Mary that were added through the centuries and about the popes, and these were added to the Catholic catechism and added much later than when the Bible was actually inspired. Um, so we'll talk about this, and of course we'll have a lot of follow-up questions. But Mike, tell us what you're going to be talking about at Saturday at the Rooted Conference in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Well, sure. The three messages that I will be giving have to do with discernment, deception, and delivering Roman Catholics out from a church that is actually under divine condemnation for preaching another gospel. So we have a great compassion for Roman Catholics. They are where I was for 35 years of my life, believing I was in the one true church, but really on the wide road to destruction. And so the messages that I will be giving will be what is discernment and why do we need it? And then we'll also talk about beware of false prophets. The Lord Jesus said that would be one of the signs of his soon return would be great deception, false teachers, false Christ, and false prophets will arise to deceive even the elect if possible. And so it's really going to be a good conference, and we hope to um, make the videos available for those that cannot be a part of it. But uh, it really is important for these 
times in which we live, I think there's a sense of urgency now to get the truth out because yes. so many people are being deceived both inside and outside the church. Amen. I, I believe we're living in the most prophetic times I think we've seen. Um, a lot of things happening that uh, God is allowing and uh, a lot of good being called evil and, and there's all kinds of worldwide, uh, you know, there's famines, there's pestilences, wars and rumors of wars. And as we we need to redeem the time and have a sense of urgency in the true church. Um, I wanted to ask you first, before we get into the questions, Mike, do you know if the conference in Green Bay Saturday, will that be streamed online? Well, if it will be streamed online, it'll be through the Voice of Faith Church Facebook page. But okay. I don't know if they've got the technology set up yet. But okay. if it will be, it will be on the Facebook. So at least we know that. Okay, I want to start with this. Um, a lot of people need to be, well, there, we've got some newer believers that, that are listening. We've got a lot of veterans and more seasoned Christians and a, a little bit more mature in their faith. And or quite a bit, I should say. And I, I just want to give an overall idea of, of the teaching on the true church. The many in the Roman Catholic Catholic Church profess that Roman Catholicism is the true religion, or they are the true church. But you wrote something recently. I believe I got this off your Facebook page, uh, proclaiming the gospel ministries on Facebook. Do you belong to the one true church? And you say the true church is not a denomination nor a building. It is an assembly of born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have been called out of the world as a people for God's own possession. And I would love for you to walk us through some of the bullet points of what makes up the true church, and then we'll talk about Catholic doctrine. Well, sure, the true church of Jesus Christ is really an invisible church. It's, it's not the professing church because... You have both the professing church, which are all those who profess Christ, but then there's the possessing church, those who possess Christ through being born again of the Spirit of God. And so the only members of the true church of Jesus Christ are those who have repented and believed the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of them have been purified by the blood of Jesus. They've been sealed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God indwells them, empowers them to live a victorious life. They've been sanctified or set apart by the truth of God's Word. We see Jesus praying for that church in John seventeen seventeen. So they are born again. They're new creatures in Christ. They've been baptized by one Spirit into one body. And they're actually called saints. We see that in the New Testament epistles. Paul is writing to the saints at different churches. Their names are enrolled in heaven. And their inheritance is protected by the power of God, as we see in First Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Mm, so that is the true church of Jesus Christ. And what a contrast to the Roman Catholic Church of today. So, Mike Gendron, is it fair to say, is it a fair assessment to say, since there is a one, the one true church and what you just described scripturally, then on the other side of that, there has to be false churches. Is that, is that too simp simplistic of a statement? There are many false churches. In fact, the Bible defines them as apostate churches. They departed from the faith of the apostles. And this has been going on for 2,000 years. And yes. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, John said they went out from us because they were never part of us. Had mm. they been part of us, they would have remained with us. So another way he could have said that, if they had been born again, they would have remained with us. But they were mere professors of Christ, and so they departed for an apostate Christianity. And so there's apostate churches both in the Catholic Church as well as Protestant churches and denominations. And Jude warns, and, and in fact he started writing his epistle about the common salvation we share as believers in Jesus Christ, but he said, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all time handed down to the saints. Let me stop right there. Oh, actually, then it says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons. But Mike Jenner, it says, it's interesting, for the faith that was once for all time handed down to the saints. Now, this is one of the arguments that you hear 
from the Roman Catholic Church. Their church, the Catholic Church, their doctrine, their traditions were handed down by the apostles and the saints. How do we respond to that claim? Well, there are apostolic traditions that were delivered in the first century church by the apostles, and we see three citations of that in the New Testament. But then you see warning after warning about guard yourself against traditions because they hold you captive. And so the body of truth that was signed, sealed, and delivered in the first century, when the last apostle died, that is the body of truth, the faith that we are to contend for. And we're to contend earnestly for it. That's the Greek word. It's not passively or whenever we feel like it. There's a battle for truth. There's a battle for the souls of men. And there are so many people that believe a false and fatal gospel, and they're not contending for the faith. You know, it's really interesting because Paul warned us in Second Corinthians 11, he said, some will come and preach another Jesus, mm. and another Jesus always leads to another gospel, and it's always influenced by another spirit. And so at the end of that passage, he says, and you bear this beautifully, or you put up with it. So rather than contending for the true Christ and the true gospel, the church is apathetic, and so we let these false Christs and false gospels run rampant. So let's go back then, Mike, to, um, well, wherever you want to go, but I particularly want to get information on ten, what happened in 1054 A.D. and the Great Schism, but I, I think we need to go even back further. There's some confusion about Constantine and what he did when he uh, promoted Christianity and the, maybe the Council of Nicaea. Could you go back, you know, and how we got these doctrines and what was decided upon there? Well, sure. That's when many people believe was the genesis of the Roman Catholic religion. In the 4th century, when Constantine, the Roman emperor, he was really trying to unite a fragmented Roman Empire by using religion as a means to unify the whole Roman Empire. And so what he did is he allowed people to come into the church without any faith or repentance. All they had to do was be baptized and they were members of the church, and so they brought with them a lot of their pagan traditions and pagan beliefs, and a lot of that is what we see in the Roman Catholic Church today. In fact, the 21st, the 21st century Roman Catholic Church does not even bear any resemblance to the 1st century Church of the Apostles. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see the 1st century Church continuing the work of Christ's redemption on an altar, we don't see anyone praying for the dead or venerating Mary mm -mm. or transubstantiating wafers into the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. We don't find any mention of indulgences, purgatory, infallible popes, or a sacerdotal priesthood. So these are all pagan traditions that crept into the church in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th century. And so today, Roman Catholicism, by its own character, is an apostate religion and it all really began in the 4th century. So, Mike, what about what we might refer to as the Apocrypha, the books that were added, and the books in the Roman Catholic Bible? Um, they would say, well, these were supposed to be in the original, but were not included. How do you respond to that? Well, they weren't included in the original canon because they contain historical, geographical, and theological errors. Yes. The reason the Catholic Church added the Apocrypha to its official canon at the Council of Trent in the 16th century was because of Martin Luther protesting the use of indulgences and the concept of purgatory. So in Second Maccabees, which is part of the Apocrypha, the Catholic Church saw that the Jews were sending alms back to Jerusalem for the dead soldiers who died with pagan amulets around their neck. And so the Catholic Church grabbed that and said, see, there is an intermediate place, and you can purchase forgiveness uh, as the Jews did. Of course, the answer to that is that we don't do things just because the Jews did them. They did a lot of ungodly things, yes. including rejecting Christ as their Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a weak argument for the Catholic Church to add the Apocrypha to its canon to try to justify purgatory and indulgences. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit more about indulgences first, because that was something that uh, Martin Luther had something to say about indulgences. That was one of the many uh, objections he had.
to the Catholic Church. Can you describe for our newer listeners or for someone that might not understand what indulgences are? Yes, the official definition is the remission of temporal punishment for sin. And David, it all goes back to a doctrine of the devil. The first lie of Satan in the garden you find in Genesis 3-4, he told Eve, if you break God's command, you surely shall not die. Well, that is the Roman Catholic doctrine of venial sin. Mm. The Catholic Church teaches when you commit lesser sins, which are not deadly, they only cause temporal punishment. They dare to perpetuate the first lie of the devil, you surely shall not die when you commit venial sins. And so all they do is incur temporal punishment, which is why Catholics have indulgences, to remit temporal punishment for sin. And that's why they have this intermediate place called purgatory. So these these three lies, venial sins, indulgences, and purgatory, all come because of the doctrine of the devil. And it's so clear to see that in First Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns us, he says, In latter times some will depart from the faith and follow doctrines of demons. Well, that's one of the doctrines they follow. And they also forbid their priests to marry, which Paul defines as a doctrine of the devil in that same chapter. So Roman Catholicism follows doctrines of demons, and that's why it's the apostate religion that it is today. We've got four minutes left in this segment with Mike Gendron of Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries. It's proclaimingthegospel.org. He will be in Green Bay, Wisconsin for the Rooted Conference. That's Saturday all day. And um, the Great Schism, 1054 A.D., what was the significance, Mike, of the, the, the split of the Eastern Church from the Western uh, Roman Church? Well, there had been a lot of differences for several hundred years, but it all came to a head really over the doctrine of the Trinity. Hmm. The Orthodox affirmed the Trinity, but they focused on the three persons and one substance, whereas the Roman Catholic Church also believed in the Trinity, but they emphasized the unity of the Godhead rather than the three distinct persons. And so this was the genesis of them meeting together in 1054, but they had previously many differences. They had distinct cultures and languages. They had distinct liturgical or worship practices theological methods. They had different seats of power, Constantinople versus Rome. And they also had different emperors. And so all of this came to a head in 1054. And so you had this great schism. The Catholics have their popes and the Eastern Orthodox have their patriarch. Wow. So much, so much history to be uh, looked into when you're talking about how a religion formed its doctrines and teachings and traditions. Um, so the Reformation came along, obviously. We are familiar with Martin Luther and, and uh, the, all of his objections to the Catholic Church and the, the doctrines that were taught. Um, what was one of the biggest reasons he decided to write and hammer those things, to nail those things to the church door? Yeah, the biggest reason was the selling of God's forgiveness through indulgences. Okay. And you, many people remember Johann Tetzel. He went around in Germany selling God's forgiveness, and this really wow. upset Martin Luther to no end, which is why he nailed his 95 Thesis on the church door in Wittenberg the day before Roman Catholics would go in to worship or venerate the relics. There was over 1,900 relics in the church there in Wittenberg, the castle church. And so he picked a very strategic day to do this when Catholics would be going in and reading the 95 Thesis that October 31st. That's interesting. It was October 31st as well, which you know we know as Halloween. But the Reformation, thank God. Um, so, Mike, rather than ask you another question on another topic, we've just got uh, less than a minute. I just want to re- take this last uh, 60 seconds and remind people of the conference coming up that you guys can register for the Rooted Conference, Mike Gendron and Justin Peters will be in person in town, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and that's July 23rd, Saturday, from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. It's going to take place at the Cup O'Joy, and uh, one of the buildings, one of their venues there within the building, and it's put on by the Voice of Faith Bible Church, and you can register at voiceoffaithchurch.com. 
and also Sunday morning from 9 a.m. until noon, also at the same location, Cup of Joy on 525 North Taylor Street. More with Mike Jenner when we come back. We're going to talk about what happens when Catholic teachings contradict the Bible or when their traditions, which they hold to be the same level as the teachings, contradict Scripture. And also, teachings about Mary. How did they get added through the centuries? More on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Mike Gendron is our guest today. The Rooted Conference is in Green Bay Saturday. He will be in town along with Justin Peters. You can register at voiceoffaithchurch.com, and you can get information on Mike's ministry, especially most of us have Catholic friends or family, proclaimingthegospel.org. So, Mike, Roman Catholics routinely claim their, their church is the true church, and they pull out of its sacred tradition teachings that are not found in the New Testament. Now, this is what I wanted to ask you because it's confusing to a lot of people because they generally believe, they mean the Roman Catholic Church, they believe that the Bible is authoritative in matters of Christian doctrine and practice, but they also regard the teaching traditions of the Roman Catholic Church as having equal authority. Well, these traditions are not, they're not found in the early church, in the New Testament. They conflict with the Bible, with what we know to be Scripture. So how do they justify this? Yes, all the Roman Catholic traditions deny the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and also deny the gospel of Christ. In many of the Roman Catholic traditions your listeners may not be familiar with, but I want to share just some of them. Sure. The sacrifice of the Mass, which is a representation of a false Christ, a Eucharistic Christ on an altar, denying the words of our bloodstained Savior, it is finished. The Catholic Church continues the work of redemption every day. The priest is said to have the power to call the Lord Jesus Christ down from heaven. And then through the miracle of transubstantiation, he changes the inner substance into the physical body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ and continues the work of redemption. So Catholics worship the Eucharist. That's idolatry. And so this... Uh, Roman Catholic tradition started in 500 A.D. Then you had indulgences. You had the purgatory uh, that was elevated to an infallible dogma in the 15th century. It was a practicing doctrine as early as the 6th century. Mike, Mike elevated... can, I, can, I, can I ask a follow-up sure. question on the Eucharist? It's very important because I, I am not sure that a lot of Catholics really understand that their church believes that that Eucharist, the host, becomes the literal body of Christ. It is not just symbolic, but yet the, the priest prays that this would become, for us, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So do you agree with me that my, it's my understanding that I don't know that a lot of Catholics really believe that or understand that that's what the church teaches? Well, not every Roman Catholic believes that, but that is the official teaching of the Catholic Church. Okay. And they really believe that the priest has that power mm. to call Almighty God down from heaven to continue on an altar what he finished on the cross. And so for Catholics to worship this as the true Christ, it's idolatry. It's no different from the Israelites worshiping the golden calf as the true God that delivered them out of Egypt. God put 3,000 Israelites to death for that sin of idolatry. And so Roman Catholics who repent and believe the gospel must come out of their church so they will not participate in the sin of idolatry any longer. And by the way, the Lord seeks worshipers in spirit and in truth. We see that in John 4:24. So a born-again Christian cannot remain in the Catholic Church. They must come out. And so back to the traditions, uh, the last... Two of the last three traditions have to do with Mary. In 1854, they declared that Mary was conceived without sin. That's the Immaculate Conception. Mm. And then they went on to say she lived a sinless life. And so Catholics began saying, well, wait a minute. If sin is what causes death and the body to decay and Mary never sinned, where's Mary? And so in 1950, 
another infallible dogma. They declared that Mary was assumed into heaven. Wow. And so, yeah, it's it's just amazing how one lie leads to another. What year was that, Mike? That was in 1950. Okay. So some 1,900 years after Mary lived, they declared that she was bodily assumed into heaven. Oh, my goodness. And in between those two dogmas on Mary, these traditions that Catholics believe in, they also have papal infallibility that was pronounced in 1870, Vatican Council I. So not only are these traditions going against the gospel and the word of God, the Roman Catholic Church dares to say that all of these traditions are the word of God. That's Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 97. So they have added their ungodly traditions to be the very Word of God. And then in paragraph 95, they declare their infallible men are equal in authority to Scripture. They're infallible bishops. And then in paragraph 100, they declare that its bishops are the only authentic interpreters of Scripture. And so this is why Roman Catholics are so easily deceived. They have to listen to what their bishops say regarding Scripture rather than going directly to the source of truth. And I've coined an expression that goes like this. The Bible is what God says. Catholicism is what man says God says. And there's a big difference because rather than going directly to the source for truth so you will not be deceived, you listen to your bishops. Mm. So they are said to be infallible. This is uh, why Roman Catholicism has gone apostate, because they've departed from the faith of the apostles by adding all these ungodly traditions. And David, I'm saying this not to be hateful toward Roman Catholicism. Amen. Yes. I love the Catholic people. I've dedicated my life to reaching them. There's 1.3 billion precious souls that are being led down the wide road to destruction. And the nature of deception is that people do not know they're deceived until they're confronted with the truth. And that's why I love your program, Standing Up for the Truth. Mm. The only way people will know they're deceived is to hear the truth, and I just appreciate you having me on so that we can share the truth, not only with Roman Catholics, but also with Christians, so that they know that the Catholic Church is a mission field and Mm. not a denomination made up of brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so glad you brought that up, Mike. In fact, this is the Holy Spirit, because I was thinking that, and I was going to mention that when you got done speaking, but you went right into the fact that we, if we love others, truly love our neighbors, and in this context, our religious or our Catholic neighbors, we will tell them the truth. If we believe the whole counsel of God, if we believe the scriptures are God-ordained, God-inspired, that the Bible is perfect and true, and that uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God stands forever, then we will tell them what the Bible teaches and say whatever was added to it later through the centuries is not scriptural. So Jesus, in, in fact, in the book of Revelation, that we are warned not to add to what was written in this book. And so, Mike, I do want to mention you also brought up deception. That's one of the things you're going to be talking about um, at the conference, Rooted Conference in Green Bay on Saturday. Um, a lot of our friends have been deceived. This is not, we're not putting them down. We're stating a fact. They have been deceived and led away from the truth. And it's predicted and warned about all throughout Scripture, particularly the New Testament. And we can document every one of these things that Mike Gendron is stating. You can look up the, the Catholic Church Catechism. And you can point to where it is, when it was added, if it was a tradition down the road. We we have the years. You can look up through church history when these things were added, particularly the, the you know Mary being ascended into heaven, you know, and, and not dying and things like that. Sinless. These are things that were added. But Mike, one I wanted to touch on in this segment was grace can be merited. Now, there's two different uh, places in the Catholic uh, catechism that that is mentioned at least two that this idea that grace can be merited. Can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, paragraph 2027 says that Catholics must merit all the graces necessary for eternal life. What does that mean? It does say that initial grace is unmerited. That's water baptism. That is said to be the sacrament of regeneration and justification. So uh, the initial grace is for a seven-day-old infant. That's when Catholics are normally baptized. 
But that is when they are said to come alive in Christ as new creatures in Christ through the efficacious waters of baptism. And so that denies the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, as we see in John 3. Mm. But yeah, Roman Catholics must merit the graces necessary for salvation. And they also have what's called a treasury of merit. If Catholics die with more than enough merit to qualify them for heaven, their extra merit goes into a treasury that is commingled with the inexhaustible merits of Christ along with the merits of the Virgin Mary. And these merits are transferred by the Pope to those suffering in purgatory, and he refuses to do so unless donations are made for mass cards to get their loved ones out of this fictitious place called purgatory. So Roman Catholicism is no different from any other religion in the world. They teach a works righteousness salvation. Biblical Christianity stands apart. That's because we have an all-sufficient Savior, and salvation is offered by God's unmerited grace. Mm. So that's the major difference between Catholicism and biblical Christianity. One teaches salvation by grace, the other by grace plus merit. And it really comes down to the doctrine of justification. Mm. The Reformers said justification is the very doctrine that opens and shuts the gates of heaven, If you get justification wrong, you get the gospel wrong. And the Roman Catholic Church actually condemns with anathema those who believe they're justified by faith apart from works, because the Catholic Church has always taught justification is by faith plus works. Mm. Um, We are saved by grace through faith, um, period. I, I also want to, you can look up Romans, you can look up Galatians, so many other great scriptures on that. Um, we don't have time to get into right now, but I want to go back to one thing, and that is the the baptism you mentioned. Um, so it's okay to dedicate your child and uh, kind of kind of uh, lift your child up to God and dedicate him to God when you do that before your church as Christians do. But that's not baptism in the sense of the, the Catholic Church thinks you are saved. Or I know that's one of the sacraments. Could you explain that? Yeah, sacraments are necessary for salvation in the Catholic Church, but the initial sacrament is baptism, and that's the sacrament of regeneration where the dead soul comes alive in Christ. It's also when the baby is justified, declared right before God. Even though the baby has no faith, Mm -hmm. the Bible clearly says we're justified by faith. So the Catholic Church just rejects the Bible and comes up with their own traditions. It's It's really heartbreaking to know that Catholics really are very unapproachable when we witness to them because they believe they were regenerated and justified at baptism, and they live a life of venial sins that don't cause death, Hmm. so they say. So when you share the gospel, we need to make sure they realize that all sins are mortal. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will surely die. Ezekiel 18.4, Catholics will not be open to the Bible until they realize they're on death row because the sins they've committed are mortal. The Catholic Church teaches that once you are justified, you can be de-justified. Again, we don't see that in the Bible. But then they have to be re-justified by confessing to a priest and doing good works and receiving sacraments. So Catholics never know where they stand before a holy and righteous God which is why when we witness to Catholics, 1 John 5.13 is so important. John writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Catholics don't have eternal life. They only have conditional life. See, there Jesus merely opened the gates of heaven. Catholics must do their part to get through the gates. Wow. Um, So you're saying, Mike, that um, a lot of Roman Catholics do not have the assurance of salvation, even though their church teaches that they were uh, saved when they were baptized? Yeah, they don't have the assurance. In fact, this may surprise you, David, but they're actually committing the sin of presumption if they dare to say that they have assurance. Wow. See, Catholics only have conditional life because it's their eternal destiny is based on what they do rather than what Christ has done. They're trusting in their good works, their sacraments, keeping the law. They have to keep the law in order to get to heaven. We know how foolish that is because in James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one part 
is guilty of breaking the entire law. Mm. And so I hope your listeners are beginning to see why Catholics need to be evangelized. Yes. It's a false religion. Uh, they do not have an all-sufficient Savior, yes. and they're trusting what they must do instead of what Christ has done. And that's why I wrote the book, Preparing for Eternity. When the Lord saved me, I came to the end of myself. I had a crisis of faith. Mm. It came down to this. Should I trust Christ and his word or the teachings and traditions of my religion? Wow. I knew it was impossible <laughs> to believe both. So I wrote a book comparing what the Word of God says with what the Catechism teaches, so it forces Catholics to make the same choice I made. Mm. Should I trust Christ and His Word or my religion? Because it's impossible to believe both. And, and this book has set so many Catholics free from the bondage of religious deception, because ultimately they have to make that choice. Should I trust Christ or my religion? Mm. And, you know, David, if I could just say real quick, the yeah. Apostle Paul recognized in Philippians 3, he gives his resume. If anybody had reason to boast in his religion, it was Paul. Yes. <laughs> but yet you see there he exchanged his religion for a relationship with Christ. And that's what Catholics have to do as well. Religion cannot save anyone, only Christ. Mm. The book is Preparing for Eternity, available at ProclaimingTheGospel.org. And uh, Mike, that's what it is. That's what it comes down to. Uh, works a lot of world religions. It's based on works, and they still, most of them, they still have no assurance of salvation or no, no teachings on the certainty of what happens after they die. It's like a coin flip, but they're going to do their best. I will say this: a lot of the Catholics I know do a lot of wonderful good works. And yet, they're very hard to reach when you talk about faith and the truth of Scripture. But we have to keep on trying, Mike, don't we? Yes, and it's important, I think, to talk about where works come into a believer's life. Yes. The Bible says we come to the cross of Christ with empty hands of faith, bringing nothing but our sins. Then after we are justified, after we are made new creatures in Christ, Ephesians 2.10 says, then we do the works that God has prepared for us to walk in. But that is the evidence that we have been born again. Mm. See, if you look at the epistle of James in chapter 2, he's contrasting living and dead faith. He said living faith produces good works, and dead faith produces no works. So faith is the root, and good works is the fruit. If, if the root is dead, there will be no fruit. And so Catholics just point to this chapter 2 of James to show that works are necessary. No, works are the evidence that you have been born again, that yes. you have been justified. If Amen. you have not been justified, then there will be no good works. Amen. Works are the evidence. It's an authentic response to our uh, praise for God for saving us. So thank you, Mike. When we come back, there's a lot in the Catholic Church, the teachings about Mary and teachings not found in the Bible. Mike is going to explain why. We're going to mention a lot of them and then compare them with certain scriptures. More with Mike Gendron of Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Mike Gendron, and ProclaimingTheGospel.org is the website. He will be in town, Green Bay, Wisconsin, Rooted Conference with Justin Peters in person. July 23rd is Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5, and Sunday, 9 a.m. until noon. It will be held at... Cup O Joy on Taylor Street in Green Bay. It's sponsored by the Voice of Faith Church.com, where they would encourage you to register. It is free. Mike, there's so many. I almost don't know where to start with this one, where um, teachings about Mary, as you already mentioned, a few of them were added. One of them, in, you said in 1950, and the church just accepts this as either new revelation or, oh, we forgot, we just um, we waited almost 2,000 years to put this in our teaching. But they're not found in Scripture, and you can't find any evidence that the, the disciples, the apostles of Jesus Christ, 
believe this. In fact, I've heard, I've had a couple of guests who are experts on Islam. And in the Quran, Mary is mentioned more in the Quran than in the pages of the Bible, only a couple times, a handful of times. So let's talk about some of these teachings and some of the problems. Mike, there are some Catholics who respond when you say, um, I don't read in the Bible where we are supposed to pray to Mary. They would deny that they're praying to Mary. And how do you respond to that? Well, of course they're praying to Mary. In fact, with the rosary is made up of 53 prayers to Mary. Yes. It begins with Hail Mary. That's acknowledging Mary. That's who they're praying <laughs> to. So Roman Catholicism really has a problem. But you mentioned Islam. Um, Mary is the only woman mentioned in the Quran. Yes. And she's mentioned, as you say, more in the Quran than the Bible. I really believe that it's these apparitions of Mary that are appearing all over the world that are going to be used by Satan as lying signs and wonders to unite Islam and Roman Catholicism. Interesting. And I actually did a message on that, the ten common bonds between Islam and Catholicism. And that's one of the key uh, bonds is their devotion to Mary. Muslims esteem Mary as the most revered woman who's ever lived. And, of course, Catholics have given her so many divine attributes. Um, one of them is in paragraph 969. It reads, Mary did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of salvation. And so we know that that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, all this does by elevating Mary, it's uh, robbing Christ of his unique glory and his unique work of redemption. But a lot of Catholics don't know that um, in the Dewey Rames Bible, which was the first English Bible, in Genesis 3.15, the Catholic Church used to state that that verse should read, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and thy seed and her seed, and she, not he, she shall crush thy head, wow. and thou shalt be, wait for her heel. And so the Roman Catholic Church, that's why when you go into Catholic bookstores, you'll see statues of Mary standing on the top of a globe with a serpent's head underneath her heel, because for the longest time they mistranslated the masculine pronoun to feminine pronoun, suggesting that Mary is the one that will crush the head of Satan. So in the Catholic Bibles today, they have since corrected that error, and um, now the New American Bible, which is what the Catholics use, will say that he crushes the head of serpent. And so when you look at the contrast and the comparisons, and I actually have presented this in my book, Preparing for Eternity, listen to the different um, attributes given to Mary. We see that the Lord Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and Mary was immaculate, immaculately conceived without sin. Jesus is the Son of God. Mary, according to the Catholic Church, is the Mother of God. The Lord Jesus was born without sin, so was Mary. Wow. The Lord Jesus committed no sin, so did the Catholic Mary commit no sin. Jesus suffered on Calvary's cross, and the Catholic Mary suffered at Calvary's cross as she knelt before him. Uh, the Lord Jesus was bodily ascended into glory. Mary's body was bodily assumed into glory. Christ is the King of Heaven. Mary's the Queen of Heaven. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Mary's the Queen of Peace. Jesus is the source of all grace, but Mary is the channel of all grace. In fact, David, every grace must flow through the hands of Mary. Jesus is the Redeemer. Mary's the Co-Redeemer. Jesus is the Mediator. Mediator. I'm sorry, Jesus is the mediator, and Mary is the mediatrix. The Bible wow. says there's one mediator, yes. that's Christ. And then both of them claim to be advocates, and Jesus is the second Adam, and Mary is the second Eve. And so you can see how they've given Mary many divine attributes. Yes. So how do you clearly state this if you're having a short conversation, because Catholics often will not want to have a long conversation about comparing these ideas, traditions, to Scripture, uh, that they added these through the years, and particularly some of these teachings and, and what they believe about Mary is very concerning, Mike. Oh, you're right. 
and many of the Catholics will say that, yes, it's not in the Bible, but it's coming from extra revelation to the popes, and also from apparitions of Mary. Mary appears in places like Fatima in Portugal, in Lourdes, and she brings messages, and of course, we're called to test every spirit in First John 4, 1, and so how do we I'm sorry, First John 4, 6. So how do we test every spirit? Well, we test them with the Word of God, and Amen. if the message doesn't line up with Scripture, then we know it's a demonic apparition. And so Mary is said to be coming for all of her children. One of the apparitions said, unless you are devoted to my sacred heart, you have no hope of salvation. Mm. So we know this is a demonic spirit appearing as Mary. But you wonder why... There's so much focus on Mary, and I'd like to just share a scripture. Yes. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, For I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by her craftiness, I'm sorry, by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So that's the devil's goal. Get our focus off of Christ mm and turn to Mary, or turn to the saints, or turn anywhere other than Christ. And so we have to recognize these doctrines of demons, these apparitions, are getting people's focus off of Christ onto someone else. Mm. Paul writes in Romans 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times, meaning the Old Testament, was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And I just want to make, mention a couple other ones, just so you guys are reminded. And, Mike, you can comment on, on these verses. Jesus even said, it is written, it is written, it is written, and referring to Old Testament scriptures and Bible prophecy. He did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not the smallest letter of the word of God will pass away. He said, the scriptures cannot be broken. He praying in his high priest prayer in John 17. He said, your word is truth. The Bereans were noble-minded for checking what uh, Paul wrote or what Paul said. He, they checked with the scriptures to make sure it was in there. Paul also told us not to exceed what is written in God's word. And Peter even quoted the, the New Testament, Second Peter 1.17. He, he said nothing of tradition. So with all these, Mike, and what we could go on, um, it, it's really difficult to talk to someone who is so ingrained in their traditions that they don't want to listen to something that is Holy Spirit-inspired and authoritative and the, the true Word of God. Yeah, you're so right. And one of the things I often tell Catholics is, you know, they want us to read the early church fathers, and then, then you will see that the second and third century church was Roman Catholic. Well, my response is twofold. Number one, I want to build my theology on the inspired Word of God, not on the uninspired words of men. And secondly, when Paul was standing before the Ephesian elders, at the end of his ministry, with great emotion, he said, I know after my departure mm, yes. that some will come in among you distorting the truth and leading people away. And so how do we know that the early church fathers that these Catholics want us to listen to are not the very ones that Paul warned us about? But there's one key scripture that we need to make sure we use when we're witnessing, and that's 2 Timothy 3.16, where yes. Paul writes, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for four things, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So the word reproof means to expose error. We can use the Bible. We can use all scripture to expose the lies of the devil. And then once we expose them, then we can use the scripture to correct the error. And so this is so important as we witness. There's so many errors that Catholics are clinging to, and we need to point them to the inspired Word of God Amen. for reproof and for correction. Amen, Mike. In uh, verse 17, the re he gives the reason why. So that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. And so to conclude, if the Roman Catholic Church is true, then where do we find its special teachings and traditions that we've just gone through a lot of them in this podcast? Where do we find that in the early church recorded in the New Testament? We don't. 
And if we can't find them in the New Testament, then they do not represent the first Christian church. And then the church fathers came around, of course, later and added things and and developed certain things. So, Mike, um, let's put a wrap on this. We've got three minutes left. We didn't get a chance to talk a lot about ecumenism, but now we've got Christian churches and pastors and church leaders locking arms with other world religions, whether it be Islam or Buddhism or, you know, the, the Jewish Judaism and Roman Catholicism. And they're going to these conferences and it's all about unity. What are your concerns about you, what you've been seeing over the last however many years? Well, Satan is trying to rebuild his religious tower of Babel. Mm. And so what we're seeing is a move towards unity of all religions. I mentioned Roman Catholicism and Islam coming together over ten common bonds. And that's available on our website, by the way, the ten common bonds between Catholicism and Islam. But we also see the Pope building bridges not only into all Christian denominations. His goal is to unite all professing Christians under the power and influence of the papacy. And he's got a lot of evangelicals that are jumping on his ecumenical bandwagon. And that's why the average evangelical doesn't know if the Catholic Church represents a mission field or if it is a denomination made up of brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have to be aware that Satan knows his days are numbered. He wants to unify everyone. When the Church of Jesus Christ is raptured, there will be a professing church that is left behind, and there will be the apostate forms of Christianity and those who profess Christ but were never born again. And so more than ever in these last days, we need to be about the Lord's work, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything Christ has commanded. And, David, we've got some excellent gospel tracts. We're really concerned about the church being a huge mission field. One of our gospel tracts is entitled True Faith or False Hope, How Can I Be Sure? And it's based on the exhortation of Paul to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. And then we've got another one, You Can Never Do What Christ Has Done, that deals with all the works righteousness denominations like the Methodists and Episcopalians and the Orthodox and the Catholics and We've got three different tracks to reach Roman Catholics. One of them is, Which Jesus Do You Trust? And it shows the counterfeit Christ of the Roman Catholic Church. So I would encourage your listeners to visit our website to order some of our gospel tracks so that you can sow the imperishable seed of God's Word. Because we have this great promise, when the seed falls on fertile ground, it will produce life. And that's what we're called to do. That's the reason the Lord leaves us here and that Amen. takes us to heaven the moment we're born again. He passed the baton to the church, and we are to take his gospel throughout the world, beginning in our own Jerusalem, our own circle of influence. Yes, Mike Chendron, ProclaimingTheGospel.org. Thank you so much, brother, for your time. Have a safe trip up to Green Bay, and we'll see you at the conference Saturday. All right. Thanks for having me, David. Blessings to you. Thank you, Mike. Voice of Faith Bible Church is putting this on. You can register for the conference in Green Bay, Saturday, July 23rd, 9 a.m. to 5, voiceoffaithchurch.com. Well, tomorrow we've got Justin Peters from Justin Peters Ministries. He will be in studio, and he's going to be speaking at the conference as well. That's the Rooted Conference in Green Bay, Saturday. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We've got a loaded week next week, and we'll tell you about who's those guests, who those guests are tomorrow. In the meantime, God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.